Well, good evening, everybody. It's a real pleasure to be standing before you and delivering God's word to you. If you've got your Bibles or you have your phone with you, um, please could you turn to Galatians and chapter 3. So I was watching a video on YouTube this week um, of a guy who was deciding to run a marathon. And uh, now, I'm sure most, if most, most of you know, if some of you don't, that a marathon is a running race of about 26 miles. And of course, they take place in cities such as London, New York, and Boston. And as I was watching this video, this guy had decided that he would run the marathon without doing any training whatsoever. So he was trusting his own... He was trusting the day that he was doing it, that he would be able to have the strength to get through all 26 miles. I'm not sure I have that belief in myself to be able to do that. But he, the only thing he actually did that the video was showing was that he had downloaded an audio book and he basically listened to how to run a marathon. But he did no jogging, no physical exercise, no stretching, nothing that would actually help him when the going got tough. So as the video was going on, and he was running and um, well, starting this marathon, he seemed very enthusiastic in the beginning. But then, as the miles clocked up, and he was running and further and further, he was waning, he was getting weary, and it just became a huge burden to him. Every single mile just seemed like that, like the mountain had got bigger. The burden was just so huge for him that he couldn't carry on. It was like a, it's like a treadmill. I think that's the, the thing I thought of it. It's a, it was like a treadmill where you just can't stop. You, you're on it forever. And, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've only ever been on a treadmill once. And, uh, yeah, that didn't end well. So, <laughs> you know, so it, was, it was very... Um, yeah, not, not so great, but um, just look at the guy, bless him. I, I couldn't imagine what he must have been going through. And in a kind of way, with the way that he was struggling, it reminds me of what it's like when we're trying to, by our own efforts, make ourselves acceptable to God. Because the reality is that we are continually, with the idea that we can do it ourselves, we are continually striving, we are continually running, but the treadmill is continuous. We can't stop, we have to keep going. And the reality is that we can't, we can't, we can't really do that. It's, it's like we're trying to please God with our, in our own strength, but... We just don't have the strength. We are, we are too weak in our own efforts to be able to do it. So when we're tempted to go in our own strength, what does the Bible say to us? How does it show us that we are free from self-effort? So let's start by reading, the, reading Galatians 3, starting at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
It was before you that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that... Sorry. uh, (laughs) uh, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the Spirit through faith. Paul is pointing here to the reality of what self-effort amounts to. And that by our own efforts, trying to become acceptable with God makes us... leads us to having a burden we can't carry. That there must be another way that we can do this work of, or this way of becoming acceptable. So our question tonight is how do we escape the burdens of self-effort? And Paul is going to show us that there are three, if we can do the thing it's probably three areas. The first one is our experience. The second one is our example, or an example, I should say, and the third one is a curse. Now, let's just go back and take a look closer at verses 1 to 5 to see how our experience can help us. So let's go through it again. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as they... Just... Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Have you suffered so much in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit... And works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. So let's stop right there. We've just seen in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, that Paul, when he was rebuking Peter for his hypocritical um, way of living out the gospel amongst the Gentiles, 
that he made the very important statement which is the basis of our faith, which is that we are justified by faith and not by works of the law. But further, Paul makes an additional point in verse 21 that if righteousness could come by the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And it's this where, in Paul, in, where Paul in verse 1 is absolutely taken aback by the sudden turnabout of the Galatians. You see, they were presented with the gospel. He makes that clear. They had heard the gospel. They had heard that Jesus Christ had been crucified for them. But somehow or other, by false teachers coming in their fellowship, they had turned away from that message. And now they were trying to trust in their own efforts. They were trying to do everything to make themselves acceptable to God in their own strength. And these these false teachers were effectively saying, faith in Christ is good, but to be really acceptable to God, you need to strive to live by the law, and then God will accept you. And so Paul, in a very interesting style, begins to question the Galatians. And he uses a series of rhetorical questions in verses 2 to 5, to get them to think about their salvation and what, it, what really happened and how the, actually what the teacher, these false teachers are saying isn't true. And the fact is, these questions are rhetorical. So it's not as if the, question, the answers are that difficult to answer. In fact, it should be obvious to the Galatians and when we, when we read these questions, it should be really obvious to us what the answer is. And it's clearly that it was by believing in faith that they received the Spirit and that they were being perfected. And yet, for some reason, they had fallen prey to the understandings of the false teachers and it seemed that to Paul, for some reason, that even though they had suffered early on in their Christian lives, and we have to remember that these Galatians had gone from paganism to Christianity, and that's a huge jump for a lot of people at that time, and it still is today. And the problem is that having done that, for some reason it was like they'd completely forgotten what they'd heard. They had, it seemed as though they had been hypnotized away from what the truth of the gospel was saying to doing something different, living a different way. And so Paul asked them about their experiences of when the Spirit came into their lives, how God worked and how the miracles themselves happened. And clearly in verse four, he, verse 5, in fact, he says that, you know, does, does he work by work, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing by faith? And again, that rhetorical question is hearing by faith. It's clear that once the Spirit comes in and the miracles come along, 
there's no greater sign because in Paul's theology, in our theology, in the theology of the Christian church, when the Spirit comes to a person, that is a sign that they are redeemed, that they are accepted by God, that their sins have been forgiven and they don't need to make themselves acceptable to God in any form whatsoever. But I think for us, what it's, what it's like um, is, it's like this. I've got a friend who um, was telling me a little story about her daughter this week at school. Her daughter had gone, it was in school, it was break time, she was just walking along the corridors, and she had been asked by a teacher to pick up some litter. But what she did was, she did this little turnabout face, and just pretended that she hadn't heard what the teacher had said, and she just walked the other way. Now, I think that is what the Galatians were doing. They were just igno- they had, even though they'd heard the word, even though they'd had that absorbed, that change in their heart, for some reason they had just decided to take on board what the false teacher was saying and go the other way. So, do we do that? Is that something that we do? I think, in reality, sometimes that's what we do. We are very much people still, as sinners who struggle with this battle between the flesh and the spirit, and we do sometimes try to do a lot of, a lot of our... We, try, we sort of base our acceptance on what we've done for God. We don't see that the works that we do are actually in response to God's gracious giving of the Spirit, but they're actually a means by, you know, God will love me more if I do this. But the, tr- but the truth is that that isn't at all what, it is, what we need to see. We need to see, as, our, as, my first point, as the first point this evening, that we can escape the burden of self-effort by remembering our experience of salvation. We can, if we remember the gospel, we remember that moment when we were first saved, just as the Galatians were called to remember that first moment, we can escape from trying to do things in our own strength to make ourselves acceptable to God. So Paul has talked about experience. But now we're going to turn to something else that will be able to help us. So let's read verses 6 to 9. So, coming off the back of verse 5. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then, there is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, having reminded the Galatians of their experience, Paul, like the great lawyer and rabbinic teacher that he was, turns to Scripture, and he brings up the chief example in the Old Testament, which is Abraham. And he does so for two reasons, really. The first one, of course, is to nail down, to, to, to buttress this point about our acceptance not being in our works, but it being in faith. But also, he wants to ward off the false teachers teaching that 
the Galatians had to follow the law and to be circumcised, to be part of the covenant that was in Abraham. So in verse 6, Paul has supplemented his argument, saying that if we look to Abraham, we can see that the obvious experience of Abraham was that he had trusted God. If we, look to, if we think of Genesis 15, the story back there, we remember that he, this is, at that point he had left his family, he'd left the Ur of Chaldees, and he had moved to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And what had happened to him there was that he was given a promise by God, but he was bar- his wife was barren, He was advanced in age. There was no hope for him to be able to, in his own strength, be able to do anything. And so, at the beginning of chapter 15, God makes this really grand promise. He says, I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And the key thing for the Galatians to be harkened back to, the key thing for us to be harkened back to, is that those very words, Abraham believed God. He believed in, not believed in him, but he trusted God. He trusted that God was trustworthy, that he would fulfill the promises that he had made. And so, this was to be a sign to the Galatians that that the trusting of God when they heard the gospel was in line with Abraham because just as righteousness or acceptance was accounted to him, so acceptance and righteousness was accounted to them based on the profession of their faith and nothing more. We have to remember that Abraham took it as a matter of faith and and that they had to as well. So he's keen to stress to the Galatians that, that, that having believed, they would now follow, they would follow Abraham. They were true children of Abraham by their profession. They didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need to follow the law. They didn't have to make God love them. Didn't have to make God find them acceptable. They already were. And I think for us, the importance of Abraham's example cannot be overestimated or overstated. In fact, we have many examples of faith in the Bible. I often think of the Hebrews chapter 11 with a great roll call of faith. All those people that, they, that the writer talks about. We think of such unsavory characters as Samson and Jephthah. But we also think of Moses. We think of David. We think of Elijah and Elisha and all the prophets. All these men, all these people who had by faith trusted God. And the Galatians were to follow in that path, follow in that descent. And so are we. The fact is, is that we are not... We are not alone in this battle. We're not alone in the historical examples that we have before us. 
So my second point this evening is that you, we can escape the burden of self-effort by looking to those who came before us and are an example to us of how to live by faith. And of course, we have many examples since the New Testament. We have so many examples. Personal favourites I know of mine, though I don't necessarily like to have favourites, are Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, um, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones. But I think for us personally, in this particular church, we have one person that we can think of, I think, that exemplifies that trust in God. And I think that's Abby Last, the very person who had that in her heart to bring the word of God to the people of Bradford and Ruffham over a hundred and so years ago. And it was her faith, her testimony, in in wanting to bring that word here, where this church stands. I don't mean the building, I mean you guys. I mean every one of you. You are a testament to her trusting God. And that is an amazing example for us to continue in. So we've had the realisation of our experience. And we've had the example of all the believers who come before us. But now, Paul is going to turn to something much more negative, much more important for us to really understand about what the role of effort really amounts to. And that is the curse. So let's read verses 10 to 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by works of the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, as it is written, Cursed be everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the the Gentiles might receive the the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul now looks at the law. And in looking at it, he looks at the juxtaposition of living by the law and living by faith. And immediately, we can see that the answer for the Galatians, the ultimate result of their efforts, would be that they were to receive a curse from God. But I just want to back up a second, because... The reality is we're talking about the law. Now, the law is holy. The law is good because it comes from a holy and good God. After all, he instituted it back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. So why would attempting to keep the law mean that we would receive, or the Galatians would receive, a curse? Surely, since we wish to follow God and be obedient to him, we should be mindful of God's law, should we not? Now, that is true. 
But what the Galatians were trying to do was not being obedient to God in a loving response. As I mentioned earlier, they are actually trying to stand on their own two feet. They're trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They're trying to rely on their works. That's the key word from verse 10, is they're trying to rely on their own effort to make themselves acceptable to God. And that, that is a serious problem. You see, the false teachers seem to have fooled the Galatians into believing that they could, they could have faith in Christ and that that faith obviously would pay for their sin, but it would mean that their slate was clean, but they had to keep it clean. It wasn't that the, that the slate was, that old slate was gone and you are a completely new person without, without which you, you're not, you're in a sense that your acceptance is done and final. It's that you have to keep going. You have to keep it clean. And so they had no assurance of full acceptance with God. But Paul makes the very important scriptural reference to them of the curse of Deuteronomy 27:26 on Mount Ebal before the Israelites were due to enter the land of Canaan that curse that tells us that anyone who does not abide by the book of the law and do those works will be cursed. And he shows them that living that way can only fail. So why is that? Because the reality is that just like us, the Galatians are sinners. They still sinned. They still fell short of the glory of God. And even though they believed in Jesus Christ, they still had sin to deal with, just as we still have sin to deal with today in our lives. But the law, that mark by which they were trying to to measure themselves up by, cannot, cannot accept sin. It can only punish sin. James puts it this way in his letter, if we break one commandment, of the law, it is as though we have broken the whole law. Do we see the implications of that? I think the Galatians has obviously not understood this implication. And that was the crucial point. Yes, they would have a clean slate, but it would become dirty immediately and they would be cursed again. And so, by living the way they were trying to live, following the false teachers, the curse was very much active, again, on the Galatians if they persisted to do the works of the law and try by their own efforts to be acceptable to God. But Paul concludes that it's evident, it's absolutely clear, that God will accept no one by their own law-keeping, by their own efforts. And he goes on by, by juxtapositioning the, the, the words in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, and Leviticus 18, 5, to show that, this was all, that the way of faith was always God's plan, that he had never, never, ever suggested 
that that would be what would please him most and make us acceptable or make them acceptable to God. So what hope do the Galatians have? What hope do we have? Paul turns to the only person that can save us. The only one who can release us from this curse. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that Jesus Christ has redeemed us, redeemed the Galatians from the curse of the law. See, Jesus' death on the cross is not just a historical event we believe in. It has divine implications. It has a divine purpose. As I said earlier, in chapter 2, in verse 21, Paul said, if the law could give you righteousness, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul turns it on his head here and says, it does have a purpose, and it was so that you could be set free. Absolutely free. And this was something that he was acting against to try to show the Galatians that Jesus not only bore their sins, he not only paid for them on the cross, but that he became the curse that was on us. He took it and he has, as I say, set, us, set them and he set us free. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, this puts paid to all the efforts that anyone can make to be acceptable to God. Firstly, because we rightly recognize that Jesus, in his active obedience, fulfilled the law while he was on earth. And that his passive obedience, when he was on that cross, he put pay to the penalty of sin and death. And he did put pay to that curse. As Paul reiterates in his later letter of 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him who had no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's such a joy to read those words. And it is through his sacrifice, through his atoning work that the Gentiles didn't have to become like the Jews. They didn't have to follow rights and regulations and law-keeping. They would receive the blessing through faith that was given to Abraham back in Genesis and they had it sealed by the Holy Spirit which was living in them and, it, and that lives in us today. So the final point of this sermon tonight is that we escape the burdens of self-effort by looking to Christ who has redeemed us from the curse of our own efforts. And I think sometimes that we can, we, even though this is wonderful, joyous news, we, because we can be forgetful, because we can have leaky hearts, as I think James has pointed out before in a previous sermon, we can lose sight of what Christ has really done for us. 
So we need to keep, look, we need to keep remembering what he's done. We need to keep looking to him, keep putting our trust in him because he's relieved us from the burden of any effort we need to make ourselves acceptable to God. In him we are blessed. In him we are loved. In him we are accepted. Through him we have all we need. We do not need to add to the gospel. We do not need to do anything. So let me conclude by recognizing that we can escape the burden of self-effort by looking to our experience of salvation. We look to the example of those who, who, lived in, who were in the faith before us and we can look to Christ who removed the curse that was on us and has redeemed us to live for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that through your word we learn, we understand that Christ has redeemed us. Christ has saved us from having to earn acceptance. That in him we have all we need and that through him we are blessed beyond all measure. Help us, Lord, in the coming week to keep our eyes fixed on your Son, to keep our minds remembering that moment we first believed, to to keep to heart those who came before us, and always, always keep our eyes on Christ. May you, O Lord, be glorified by our profession of faith, by our living by faith and trusting in you. In and through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.